what we just sang, that you have never failed and that you never will. Lord, I thank you that we don't cling to the promises of this world, that we don't look out at the world and all that is going on in it, all that we've even prayed over it, and, and we don't find our assurance there, but we find our assurance in the truth of who you are, that you are a God who does what you say you're going to do, that you have finished the work on the cross, and what you have done, you will complete when you return and renew all things. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of the fact that as as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are a people who have been already transferred into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are here to live in this broken world as your kingdom people, by your kingdom power, for your kingdom glory. Lord, I pray that even as we continue to worship you in the word now, that it would do its, its, not mine, its transforming work in our very souls. Lord, that people would come alive today by the power of your word and the power of your spirit and for the fame and the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. Romans 13, 1 through 14. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone you... Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Owe nothing to anyone except to your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, say you must not commit adultery, you must not commit murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These are other... These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The, the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sec sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, close your, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. 
This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat and grab the word of the Lord, your Bible. If you need a Bible, as has already been said, raise your hand. We have people that will put one in it because I want you to read along with me where we're going to be. Um, the passage that Cindy just read through is, was written by the Apostle Paul. But so that, because today, I'm just going to let you in a little secret. Today's message is going to be tense in the sense of what it's going to speak to our hearts because of what Paul wrote. But he's not alone in what he wrote. For example, the, his friend, the Apostle Peter, wrote this. Make the Lord proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God, it's God's will that you live honorable lives, that your honorable life should silence the ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. So it's obviously, it sounds like what Cindy just read, written by a completely different apostle. So I'm just going to start with our first talking points question, because this is the elephant in the room as we enter into this, um, this part of scripture in Romans 13, which is where we're going to be today, is we are here today to talk about making the gospel of Romans 1 through 11 real through our lives to a lost culture. So this is your first talking points question. So let's address the elephant in the room. So we're so we we are here. We gather together to make to help to help us be a better picture of Christ. That's what the church exists for, to to seek and 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 then show the glory of the Lord. So if that's what we're here to do and that's what we're here to be, then here's the question. But does God really I mean, really, does he really expect us to show honor and respect to a world that seems like it's just going crazy? That we're supposed to show honor and respect to a government that appears to be off the rails? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. And guys, I, I've talked about, so we're in this book of Romans. We're in this book that we, we, we called it Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel of Romans. And we talked about how many biblical scholars think that, that Romans is the most important book in the Bible because it's so beautifully and completely and outlines the gospel, what the gospel is, and then also what the gospel does. But guys, did you know that it's also one of the least taught books in the church? And do you know why? Because it's hard. Because there's some hard stuff in it. So as we talked about like in, in um, Romans 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and, and God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how does that whole mess all work together and how churches have divided over those kinds of theological issues for really since the be almost the beginning of the church. Guys, what we're going to talk about today in Romans 13 and 14, not nearly... Um, at, we don't think of them as being as divisive, but I'm here to tell you the things that Paul is addressing today in our hearts have divided the church more in the last three years than any theological concept. Because what do we talk about? What are two things you never talk about at a party? Politics and religion. Well, we're at church and we're talking politics. Not because I want to, but because we're going to teach the totality of Scripture here. We're not going to skip Romans 9. We're not going to skip Romans 13 just because it might ruffle some feathers, including mine, the wrong way. And so we're going to dive into this. But before we jump into our passage today, guys, I just want to drive home the point. This is not a one-off. 
I already mentioned Peter said the same thing Paul did. But this is not just, oh, well, a couple of times in all of Scripture it mentions being submissive to governing authorities. Well, in your calling passage, Titus 3, Paul, that Jeff read, Paul reminds us to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And you say, okay, well, wait a second. Maybe that was just an apostle thing. That wasn't a Jesus thing. Oh, really? Okay, so let's talk about this. Jesus is getting arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, typically Peter, takes his sword out, lops off the ear of the slave of the high priest. What does Jesus say to him? Does he say, get him! Get him, Cephas! Take him out! What does he say? He says, put away your sword. He heals the man's ear. But then he says this. This is the point of that scene. He says, don't you know that all I have to do is say the word? And my father will send down a legion of, of angels and wipe them out. That's not my kingdom. Oh, by the way, there are other places in Scripture. So, in, in, so think about when, when, John then gets, or when Jesus then gets, erupted, gets arrested. And in John 18, he gets taken to Caiaphas. It was the passage I, that I referenced during Resurrection Sunday. And he's, and he's having this whole, he starts this whole conversation that ends with what is truth. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. But guys, where did that conversation start? Pilate walks him in and he says, so are you the king of the Jews? Now what is Jesus' answer? His answer is, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. And if my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight. So even Jesus is saying, hey, in this context, on this plane, in this world, we are not advancing my kingdom through hostility. That's one of the struggles that in my own heart I have been wrestling with, and I invite you to join me. So what we're talking about in this series is the like righteousness revealed, the righteousness of God revealed. The first 11 chapters of Romans really was the, the beauty of the gospel and how the righteousness, the right, the power, the holiness, the grace, the love, the pursuit of God towards us. That's Romans 1 through 11. Then Romans 12, now we're in 13 today, and on to 16 is, okay, but how do we, in light of that, make the gospel real? So we're in this part that we're calling the gospel, um, the, like making the, the righteousness of God real. So we talked about, and, and Jeff already alluded to this a little bit, this was before the resurrection season. So we started in Romans 12 and we talked about how do we make the gospel real and a life well lived. Um, two weeks ago we talked about how do we make the gospel, or I'm sorry, it was actually three or four weeks ago now that I think about it. Um, how do we make the gospel real in the body of Christ? And we talked about spiritual giftedness and fitting together in the family of God. And then last week, as Jeff said, he talked about how do we make the gospel real in our relationships. Today we're talking about how do we make the gospel real in our culture. And the question I'm going to ask, because we are a people, guys, if, if you're sitting here today and you are a Christian, you see me, and you're sitting here today, you see me do this a lot. What am I referring to? The two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world that is controlled by, that is, that is ruled by the God of this world, Satan, and the world system. And it is broken. And then there's the kingdom of heaven, is what, is what Jesus calls it in the Gospel of Matthew. And as kingdom people, as people who have been born again, you have been partially transferred into that kingdom. You're already finished but not yet done. We still live down here. So we are a people stuck in the middle. We're a people stuck between these two kingdoms, partially already his, like in, in every way, and yet physically still part of this brokenness. So what we have to figure out is which of these two people is most self-defining? Is the, is, the, is the Doug who's been transferred to the kingdom of heaven 
the one that defines me, or is the Doug that tr- that's, that's still down here, the broken Doug, the one that defines me the most? So the question we're looking at today is, how do you know which of your dual citizenships most defines you? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to see that through three training truths. Are, they're going to be, um, we're going to go through this passage fairly quickly. So the question we're going to ask ourselves is, are you pushing back against authority? Are you paying your dues? And are you putting on Christ? And those are the three things that we're going to see today. So if you would, hopefully you found Romans chapter 13. And we're going to start in looking at, so which of these dual citizenships defines us the most? And the first point is, are you pushing back against authority? Now look at what the Apostle Paul says. Cindy just read it, so I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. That's local all the way up to like the governmental system. For there, are, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? So do you not want to live, in a, live afraid? Then do what is good and you will receive approval. I'm just going to stop there for just a second. I hadn't planned to, but we have a, a large number of law enforcement officers in our little church body. Amen. So, right, so I've, I, and I won't, so I won't point to all of them. We have several of them. So if, if I see a police officer and I'm doing 65 in a 40, I am not, jail, thank you, I am not overly... I am not overly excited about seeing that police officer. But if I see a police officer and I or my, or my family, I feel like we're in a place of danger. Like we were out in California last week and we were at Mission Beach on a Saturday afternoon and it was getting real. I mean, there were some really interesting things going on in the parking lot as I'm circling looking for a place to park until my wife can go get my daughter and we can get out of there. And, and I felt so much better when I saw two police officers roll into the parking lot. Why? Because in that instance, I was doing good. But when I was doing 65 and a 40, not that I ever would, right? But if I... Why do you laugh? That, that, that hurts right here. Ow. Um, then, then do you see, like, our behavior has a definite impact on how we view authority. And that's ultimately part of what Paul's trying, the argument Paul's trying to make here. So he says, um, so he says in verse 4, For he is God's servant, he meaning the person in authority, the governmental person, for, for doing good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, he's not there for nothing. God has him there for a reason. He is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath in the, to the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in submission, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, guys, we could, we could do a whole, the whole Sunday on just those first five verses, because there are so many things that come to mind, in my own mind, like, like situations. Yeah, but what about? What about when the government says this? What about when the government does that? What about when, when the cop tells me to do this? What about, like, all those things. And, and we'll get to a few of those in the second point, but that's not really Paul's point here. Paul's point is he's trying to press us to the how and the why. Like, why do we submit to governing authorities? And the ultimate answer is because who's the authority over the governing authorities? God is. Guys, it all goes back to Romans 1 through 11. So he's, Paul's taking Romans, Romans 
12 through 16 is, is pushing us always back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Remember, just like 1 through 11 pushed us back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God. And then he spends 11 chapters talking about the, how the power of God played out. Well, Romans 12 through 16 is always pushing us back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does 12, 12, 12, 1 and 2 say? It says, therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice presentable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might what? Prove what the will of God is. And then, for, and then so when we get to chapter 13, he's not just making up some random thing about government. He's saying, this is what it looks like to present your body a living sacrifice. This is what it looks like to prove what the will of God is. It is to submit to those in authority because you know that, the, that, that God is ultimately in charge. Proverbs 21.1 says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it any way he wishes. What do you do with that? If you don't believe God is sovereign, just what do you do with all of this? Who was in charge of Potiphar when, jo when Joseph showed up? God was. Who was in charge of Pharaoh when Moses showed up? God was. Who was in charge of, um, of Sennacherib when the Assyrians attack Israel? God is. Who raises up Nebuchadnezzar to kill the Assyrians, the, ba the Babylonian Empire, and, and eventually take Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to Babylon? God was. Who is sovereign over all of that? God is. Who calls his shot and says, when I'm done with Babylon, I'm going to raise up a, the Persian Empire, modern-day Iran, to destroy the modern-day Iraqis, the Babylonian Empire, because I'm going to raise up this man named Cyrus. That was written in God's words 200 years before Cyrus was born. That should show us, and who, and, and who was the king the ruler of the Persians who allowed God's people to go back to Israel after he killed the Babylonians. Oh, by the way, his name was Cyrus. Guys, all of Scripture shows us that there is no authority on earth that is not in control of the authority in heaven. You cannot read God's word and not know that. So how do we then filter that through what we see today? Well, we have to filter it through this lens of going, okay, I absolutely believe that God is in control. So where does that leave us as Christians? And I'm just quickly going to mention, here are four ways to view how the, how, Christian and, how the Christians and government can get along or have gotten along throughout world history. One is a theocracy. So, I'm just gonna, so if you want to write these down, you can. The first one is theocracy. Theocracy, think of, think of theocracy as like, like the, the nation of Israel. That you are, or, or frankly, even something like um, Islam. That ultimately the church is the government. That they're synonymous. That would be a theocracy. The other one, another one is called Erastianism. It's E-R-A-S-T-I-N-I-S-M. Erastianism. It's named after a man named Erastus. And I want you to think about that. This would be like the Russian Orthodox Church would be an example of, of modern-day Erastianism. What that means is the church has partnered, like, or not partnered, but um, is in control, uh, is, in, is being controlled by the government. So, so Vladimir Putin has a very strong say in what's going on in the, in, the, in, the, in the leaders. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church. Right? That's Erastianism. Constantinianism, named after um, the, the Roman Emperor Constantine, that would be more the other. It would be, it would be like the government saying, I'm going to absorb Christianity, and, and, and it's very much what, what has been happening in our nation over the last century. 
Constantinianism would be to be an American is to be a Christian because we're a Christian nation. So in Rome, once Constantine said Rome is a Christian nation, every Roman citizen would say, I'm a Christian, whether they knew Jesus or not. That's not right. So what is the one? So those are the four wrong ones. What's the right one? Partnership. It's where the government is there to stay out of the details of religion, but support. It's, it's what our Constitution says. It's what the First Amendment guarantees. That, that, that Congress will not exercise any law that in any way establishes or gets in the way of a religion. That's what the partnership is supposed to look like. That's just so hard for us to stay in. Throughout our, even our nation's history, we just keep going back and forth one way or the other too far. And what we're seeing in our culture right now is the pendulum swinging way too far back the other way. But, but what are we supposed so, so, so since it's so hard to stay in that healthy partnership, what are we supposed to do? Well, the only thing we can do as individual believers, I mean, outside of exercise our constitutional authority in America to vote, and I want to make sure everybody hears me say that, as Christians living in this country where we have a, a unique opportunity in the history of the world, you have a command, not a suggestion. You have a command to be registered and vote. You just do. It's part of the deal. If you need more help with, with understanding why, come talk to me after the service, but that's not what this message is about. We even offer a class here in the summertime talking about our role in the, in the constitutional democracy of, or represent, representative form of government that we have in this nation. We'll be offering it again this summer. Come take it. But So we're, we're, I'm not saying don't be involved in government. What I am saying is whatever we're involved in needs to be filtered through the lens of the... Of, I know it became really popular on a bracelet. What would Jesus do? Or, or do what Jesus did, but that's what it needs to be filtered through. So the only other place we're going to turn in Scripture is keep your finger in Romans. We're coming right back. Go to the left to where we are and go to Matthew chapter 5. We talk about this a lot here, but it's worth looking at again, and you will be better if you read it with me and not just listen to me read it. So turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It's the Beatitudes. Because, guys, the only way we can really do this, this meaning know, know when to push, know when, to, when not to push, when to be, how to be engaged in, in our culture in a Christ-like way, is to keep the image of Christ in front of us. We have to look in the mirror. And the mirror isn't the glass thing in your bathroom. The mirror is God's word. So here's what Jesus says. Now understand, this is the beginning of his first, his first public message. His first big sermon, when he grows up and he launches into his ministry, and he says, and I'm starting verse 2, he says, He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, called, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. They shall be about the family business. Hold on to that one. Peacemakers are about the family business if you're in the family of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you, when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets 
who were before them. Guys, this is so hard for us. It's so hard because, because what, what is, and I've talked about like the anti-beatitudes before, you know, blessed are the strong for they shall get their way. Blessed are the mean-spirited for they shall put others in their place. But like, like that, our tendency, especially in an American culture, especially in the current culture where everything is coming at us through our phones and social media and different, like, like the, this idea of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mild, blessed are the gentle, like that, that all by itself, when I read the Beatitudes, I'm just going to be, I'll be transparent. They rub me the wrong way. They do. This Doug, the, the still broken Doug, does not want to live in that. And yet, Christ is describing, not just, he's describing himself. This is how he lived. He could have destroyed Rome if that was his goal. It was not his goal. And yet, guess what happened? He destroyed Rome. Because where's Rome today? It's gone. Where's the church? We still th- we're still thriving. Right? That's because, it, because all of Christ's teaching has some kingdom consequence. And, and he's talking about the heavenly kingdom. Okay, so we're, we're talking about this idea of, um, of how do we know which one of our dual citizenships is, is most self-defining. And the first thing is, are we pushing back? Because both Jesus and Paul did not want conflict to get in the way of the gospel. The reason Jesus stops Peter in the garden, the reason he doesn't command his angels to come and wipe out Rome, is because ultimately he's about the gospel going forward. Not about getting victory in Washington, D.C. That's not his goal. He's thinking way bigger. And so should we. And so the next thing is, and this, this is where it gets even more unpleasant for us, is are we paying our dues? Are we paying our dues? So look at the next couple of verses. This is our second point. And yeah. For because of this, we also pay taxes. Great timing, Lord, for when we happen to be in this passage, right? Since we all, since, since many of us just paid a pretty hefty, hefty tax bill uh, just this last couple, we, or a week ago, I guess. It would have been Monday or Tuesday, right? Because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom rev- revenue is owed. Now, and I, I, you almost wish you just stopped there. And then he's like, respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Well, I want to stop for a minute and just talk about taxes and revenue for a second. Because just like um, the scene where... Um, so or sorry, in Matthew 22, and you're going to read about this this week, there's a scene where they're trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus is in the temple, and they're trying to trap him. And they're saying, hey, should we pay taxes? Because they know that's a lose-lose situation for him. Because if, if Jesus says, don't pay taxes, he immediately becomes an enemy of Rome. And they hunt him down. Because that was a big deal to them. I mean, the whole reason Jesus is born in Bethlehem is because they wanted to make a census of the people and, and get them back to their home so, so that they could collect more taxes. Taxes were a huge deal to the Roman Empire. So we think we have a tax problem. So did Jesus. But, but so they say, hey, do we, who do we, do we, should we pay our taxes? If he says no, he's an enemy of Rome. If he says yes, he's an enemy of the Jewish people who didn't like Matthew and the tax collectors. Right? So what does he say? He says, hey, give me a denarius. It was one of their coins. And he says, whose face is on it? And they look and they go, it's, it's the face of Caesar. Because to them, Caesar was God. 
And he says, okay, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Okay, so here's his way of saying that. You know what? You're, don't worry about your money. Give your money, what money they need, submit to the authority, give it to them. Give your life because whose image is stamped on your life? God is. You are, I don't care if you're, if, even if you're not yet saved, you are an image bearer of the Almighty. Your, his image is stamped on you. And, and he's saying, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Give God your life. Stop worrying so much about your money is ultimately what Christ was talking about here. But let's keep going. And, and look at, so, so because, because when he says, but then when he says, and give, to, um, and give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. I, like I, if you're like me, you read that. And when I was reading through this over and over over the last even few weeks, I'm like, okay, but wait. Uh, respect and honor? How can I possibly give respect and honor to people that I don't even like personally respect and honor? I don't res- what I know of their persona, I have no reason to respect and no reason to honor. And so I start, I start where that, here's what that thinking leads to, guys. I don't, I don't care if you're thinking, you know what, what how could I respect Bill Clinton? How could I respect George W? How could I respect um, Barack Obama? How could I respect um, um, President Trump? How can I respect President Biden? I don't care which one you're in. The minute you, everybody here has a different opinion about all those guys, but the minute we start going, I don't need to respect them because, I don't need to honor them because, is we are immediately inserting ourselves into it and we're forgetting the gospel. Because here's the bottom line. God needs to show us no respect. God needs to show us no honor. And he has given us the greatest honor in the world by sending his son to die for you and for me. Right, and so he, so Jesus, or so Paul is saying. So, but again, I, I'll go back to Doug's flesh and go, yeah, but, but, but how can I do this? These, do, do, like God, have you ever met Joe? Sorry, have you ever met President Biden? Have you ever met Donald? Have you ever met Donald Trump? Just to be an equal opportunity offender, right? Have you guys? Let me let me just quickly tell you who's in charge when Paul writes this. Let me tell you a little bit about this. So this is before Paul even writes this, the man who is emperor, who's president of Rome when the, when the church starts, his name was Caligula. Now some of you older people in the room, you, that name immediately brings to mind disgust. Do you know why? Because Caligula was a man who killed his mom and his brother to get into power. He slept with his sisters. He was a public cross-dresser. He instituted, he actually installed his horse into the Senate of Rome and made him proconsul. The horse. I don't know how that works. So he was a messed up dude. That's the one that started the church. Then this guy Claudius comes along. He only reigns for a few years. I mean, he's probably the most normal, except that he's the one who actually starts feeding Christians to the lions. Oh, and then it gets better because Claudius gets killed by Nero's mom, because she wants her son to be king, or Caesar. He ends up burning down half of Rome, playing his harp on his, on his roof, like he's trying to be in some like melodrama, like, like Greek play or something, as Rome is burning down around him, blames the Christians. He's the one who would take Christians and impale them on a stick and light them on, the, on fire in his garden during their garden parties. Oh, by the way, guys, get this. These are the people. These are the people that Paul is saying submit to. We think we got problems. Guys, Nero kicked 
his pregnant wife to death. Then, because he felt guilty, finds a boy who reminds him, because he looks, a young boy, who looks like her, has him castrated, changes his name, and marries him. Guys, now you tell me, these, these are the people that Paul is saying submit to. And yet we, we, can, we can flip this thing around so fast in our minds and go, yeah, but I have every right to be anti-Christ-like because this person is so... And what Paul is trying to make really clear here is you have no right to ever, in any circumstance, no matter who the authority is, to act anti-Christ-like. Now, I say that saying... But, but there's a lot of issues here, right? So, so look at your last talking points question. Guys, understand something. Whoever, you, whoever the president, like, whether it's the president now, the president we had last time, or, or the presidents to come, they are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Spend your time fighting with him. But then fight him and even fight the governmental system, however, like by promoting the one who is victorious. Like we don't focus on Satan and we don't focus on the government because we focus on Christ as Christians. Now, I say that going, yeah, but there are some real problems that, are, that we really as Christians, especially in a society that can vote, that we have to figure out. And I don't have time to go into all the details. We talk about voting and voting biblically when, those, when, when it cycles up and we give you resources um, to help you do so in a better way. So we're not, I'm not avoiding talking about this, the specifics. But, but, the, but the talking points question is, there's a large, there is a large amount of gray area about when do you submit and when don't you submit. Because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, or Dan, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not always submit. Daniel did not always submit. We, we, I mean, the, the reason the apostles died is they didn't always submit, right? They all died badly, all of them, right? I mean, John was the best one. He got boiled in oil and, and, sent, and sent to live in Patmos. How'd you like that for your testimony? The rest of them were all executed you know, as soon as they could be. This is, the, this is the call of Christ. It's not sold very well in America because it doesn't sell very well, well in America, but that's the reality. So, so here's the question. When, by what filter do we use when we, to say, this is when I step in and this is when I step out of engaging? Hold it up again, Scott. That's, it's got to be this. right? It's got to be when it's clearly not in this, this. Guys, I admit it. This is gray area. This is why we need each other. We need each other in, in, in the context of not just what we do here on Sundays, but in our lives to kind of go, hey, I noticed some stuff you've been posting on Facebook, and, and man, it just seems like it's a little left of field. Or hey, you know, I've noticed some of your Instagram things, or I've noticed some, you know, somebody was telling me that you were having a conversation about how we should go do this in, the, in, you know, in Washington because of whatever, and, and I'm like, hey, let's, let's look at that through the lens of Scripture. Right? Because, because when it's a matter of life, that is clear in Scripture. When it's a matter of whose image your identity is found in, that's a clear matter of Scripture. When it's a matter of marriage, that's clearly defined in Scripture. When it's, a, when it's, when it's those kinds of things, we have to stand. Right? We, we do what Luther said. On the word of God I stand and I can do nothing else. But in everything else, and, and, and a lot of that other stuff that we think we need to stand on, we really just need to take a breath. And go, is this my thing? 
Or am I impeding the, the progress of the gospel by making it some issue that puts it way ahead of Christ? Because we cannot do that. That brings us to our last point, and it goes fairly quickly. So, so we're talking about how, how do we know which, ones, which of our dual citizenships most self-defines us? That's hard to say. One is, um, so, so are we pushing back against authority? Are we, pay, are we paying our debts? Are we willingly going, okay, I, I am called to honor, so I will, whether I feel like it or not, right? And then the last thing is, and this is the way we do all this, we put on Christ. And even though it's the most verses, it will go the fastest. So take a look at, um, take a look at uh, chap- or verse 8 of chapter 13. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's what Christ did. It's who Christ was. He tell, he, remember when, when, he wa- when I taught on, wa- on Jesus washing the disciples' feet? And he says, by th- he says, I gave you an example because by this, people will know that you're mine by your love for one another. So that's, that's ultimately what Paul is saying here. For the commandment, and then he's going to quote Leviticus chapter 19. He says, just like Jesus does in the great commandment, and he says, commit, the law says don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, don't steal, don't covet. And any of, um, any of the, all the commandments can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Jesus called it the great commandment. Love does no wrong to the neighbor, um, therefore it, it, he is fulfilling the law. So that's, that's pulling the Old Testament story forward just like Christ did. Now look at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So he's saying Christ's second coming is closer now. than when, so, so it's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and Matthew 26. Be ready and keep your lamps lit. Like that's ultimately what he's saying there. And then in verse 12 he says, The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. This is, where he's, this is that Ephesians 6 thing. Put on the full armor of God. But it's also Ephesians 5 when he says, so walk as a child of the light. Don't walk in the darkness anymore. We're called, guys, it's, whether it's in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, Romans 13, Titus 1, or, I'm sorry, Titus 3, 1 Peter, we're to look different. We're to act different. We're to respond different. And if your social media posts, if your life, if your talk, if your, not just your actions, but if your inner thought life isn't different, then we're not really living in the light of the gospel. We can't be. Now get this, last couple verses. Let us, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality or sensuality, not, and not quarreling or in jealousy. Here's my, when I read that verse... Why do we immediately look at the first four words? Like in, in, in the ESV, it says orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and sensuality. Why do we look at those and, 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 then, and then measure our success by those four words only? Because there are six words in the sentence. Because you know what we do when, when it says in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for gratifying the flesh. We go back to verse 13 and we go, oh, well, I'm not involved in immorality, sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, so I'm good. Except that there's two more words there. And the other two words are quarreling or arguing and jealousy or um, sometimes, sometimes translated dissension. He isn't giving you a, a hierarchy. He isn't saying being involved in like sexual parties 
is worse than creating dissension. Guys, let that just sink in for a minute. Paul is not saying that this one's worse than this one. He's saying this and this are exactly the same thing. Don't do either of them. Now, man, like that messes with me because I can hang out over here in dissension pretty easily. Inwardly, outwardly, right? It's not not nearly as hard to not hang out over in this area. But all of it is an affront to God. All of it is an affront. So what are we supposed to do? Guys, this ultimately, and I love how Sean led us into the time of worship, and I'm going to ask the music team to come up, um, and we're going to go into our time of response and in um, song and in baptism. But guys, understand that like, what Sean shared there is it, it's a heart issue. This, don't, don't fixate on behavior. Fixate because out of the overflow of your heart, so your mouth speaks, so your thumbs tweet, so your keyboard posts. It's out of the overflow of your heart that those things happen. Guys, the reasons, the reason, now get this, last thing. Don't close your Bibles up yet. I didn't say we were done. I just invited the music team up. The reason Christianity has cycled so much over the last, like, back, like we see this pendulum going back and forth, is because we've tied it so closely to our, the, the culture and morality we're living in. In other words, what, here's what we think. The only time... The gospel is winning is when our guy is in authority, when our person is in power. I'll just put it even more bluntly. When our dude is the president. The only way Jesus and the gospel is going forward is when we see laws being passed that are more moral. Again, I am not saying we don't engage in and we don't vote. and we don't, Absolutely we do. But we do not measure the success of the kingdom of God in the world by what our politics are. And we have done that to our detriment in the church because the minute we start to feel like we're losing, we go, we cannot win unless our guy is in power. So it isn't about preaching the gospel. It isn't about looking more like Christ. It isn't about putting on Jesus. It is about getting our guy to be president. And guys, that is such a worldly viewpoint. If we're going to live in this kingdom, then this kingdom needs to be what it's about. This is the kingdom he wants to transfer us into. Because someday this kingdom and this kingdom are going to come slapping back together and it's all going to be done. And there will be no more White House. There will be no more Kremlin. There will be no more of any of that. There will even be no more temple because God himself will be the temple. That we will be right back like they were in the garden before the rebellion. Right? That's the call of Christ on our lives. Guys, get this. I just want to end by offending everybody. We are not the party of the donkey or the elephant. We are the party of the Lamb of God. Guys, our guy is in power. Like seriously, our man has always been in power. He is never headed for the hills. He has never hunkered down. He has never wrung his hands and gone, oh no, what are we going to do? Like never in all of eternity. Not once. He is in power. He is on his throne. And the only question that you and I have to ask is, do we really believe that? And then how do we know we believe that? Because our lives display it. We can say, like, like Sean said, we can say we believe. Even de- the demons believe and tremble, is what Sean reminded us of. Even Satan believes the Son of God is who he is. He just isn't going to put his hope in him. He isn't going to certainly going to live for him. 
The question is, are you and I any different? Because if you're living down here just like the world, if your attitude, your behavior, your, your social media, your inner thoughts, and I, we, if you, if, a lot of visitors today, not perfection. I'm not talking about doing it perfectly. We all struggle. It's the reason we have a prayer wall. It's the reason we hang our cards on the cross. Because I am not talking, I'm not talking about doing it perfectly. I am talking about who are you trusting in? And in those moments when you're so tempted to go, oh, I just can't wait to comment on this post. Or, oh, I just can't wait to blast my family member for what they believe politically. Or, oh, I just can't wait. Are, are you stopping? Can you stop in that moment and go, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, right now, I need you to remind me of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against those things, there is no law in this world. So, Lord, I want to pray for these people here. I want to pray, have we yet put our trust, really, like really put our trust in who you are? Has the, has the reality of the gospel of Romans 1 through 11, the, the beauty, the majesty, the power, the righteousness, the holiness, the pursuing grace, the sovereign hand, has all of that really taken hold of our hearts? Because if it has, then we will live well. We will love one another well in relationship. We will be different and difference makers in our culture, one life at a time. Lord, I pray for those in this room, and I know there are some, I don't know who, who have not, who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that, that today would be the day that, that they would respond to what you're doing in their hearts. I pray that they would, they would realize, maybe for the first time, that they have been too distracted by the arguments of this world. It's, it's what Satan did in the garden. He took a little bit of God's truth and he wrapped it in a great big lie and he fed it to us. And he's still doing that today. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth and the beauty of the majesty that, that we are fully, freely, and forever forgiven in Christ. And that as that, we are, we are not just called to, but we are empowered to. The same gospel that saved us is the gospel that makes it possible for us to walk worthy. So help us to put on Christ over and over and over again that we might put him on display in Jesus' name. Amen.